Hey, when we lived in Virginia, we used to go and visit, we'd take the kids on a field trip to Jamestown, old Jamestown. Maybe some of you have been there. But uh, here's a little bit about background. When Jamestown, Virginia was first established 350 years ago, most of the people built humble huts for their families. But right in the middle of town, they erected an imposing church building as a testimony to all who came that the people of Jamestown put God first. They had two-hour worship services every day of the week, and attendance was mandatory. If you didn't show up for the daily service, your day's ration of food would not be given to you. The reasoning was, if you were too sick to go to church, you were too sick to eat. They had a five-hour service on Sunday, and you were expected to be there all five hours. If you missed church for three Sundays in a row, they would put you in the stocks for six weeks out on the church lawn. Those stocks are still there. You can still see them there. Now, I think most of us would probably agree that's a little, little bit harsh, a little bit over the top. I have uh, looked at our blueprints for phase three. No stocks in there. No stocks out here on the side wings. But I do want to talk about, I want to talk about church this morning and weekly church worship. Now, if you're new to us, we're in a sermon series. Really, it's the love God, love people, and serve others, our of our slogan up there and this month we'll be talking about love god february we're talking about love people and in march we're talking about serve others but last sunday if you recall we were talking about refocusing the vision of the church and uh, from the scriptures we can see we need to focus up and focus out at the same time we're focusing in but the first thing is to focus up and to recognize this is god's church the church is god's idea jesus said on this rock i will build my church uh, so it's his it is his church and he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. So we want to make that our first priority. We seek first God's kingdom, his righteousness. The kingdom of God is the church. And so as we think about what does it mean to love God this month, it means many things, obviously. Love is a many-splendored thing. But we could talk about a lot of different things. But I want to specifically tie our love God theme to the church uh, during this month. And today we're going to talk about going to church. Now, I know you can't technically go to church. If you're a lifer and you grew up listening to Christian music, there was a song back in the day, you can't go to church because the church is you. And I get that. We are the church, not really someplace you go. But this, that's the way we use language. Anybody see the sunrise this morning? If you got up early enough, you saw the sunrise? No, because the sun didn't rise. The earth rotated on its axis, and the sun stays still. But that's the way we talk. We all know what we mean when we say, you saw the sunrise. Likewise, when we say, go to church, we all know what we mean. It's the weekly corporate worship. Corporate means group. Well, that's one of the ways we love God. Well, is that true? And if so, why is that? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Weekly corporate worship is loving God. We'll just look at a couple of reasons here. Reason number one, because it is obedience to God. Jesus said, John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. How do we love God? By obeying his commandments. How do we love Jesus? Obeying his will, his desire, his suggestions, his wishes. So just let me lay out a few verses this morning that show, that illustrate this idea of weekly corporate worship coming together on a weekly basis to worship with brothers and sisters has biblical precedent, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So let me put these verses out here for us. Leviticus 23, 3. 
Moses writes, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly. Luke 4.16, on the Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue as was his custom. Acts 20 and verse 7, now we're into the New Testament. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people. Revelation 1.10, this is John. John writes, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet. Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together. In the Bible, Bible times, people went to church weekly. Now, in the Bible, there are two covenants. You know that. There's an old covenant and a new covenant. Another word for covenant is a testament. So you got the Old Testament and the New Testament. Covenant is, is generally like a contract, generally analysis. It's an agreement or a contract between two parties, in this case, between God and his people. So back here in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, it was prescribed that people would come together on Saturday, the Sabbath, seventh day of the week, to worship God. Now, it was in recognition that God created for six days and then he ceased his creative activity on the seventh day. So it was a day of rest or cessation from work. But it wasn't a day for, it just wasn't an all-day nap. Maybe they snuck a nap in there. But it was also a day, as we read in Leviticus, of sacred assembly. So part of how they worshiped God, the Jews in the Old Testament, was not, by not working all, and also by assembling together. Now we read in Luke that Jesus on the Sabbath was in the synagogue, as was his custom, his practice. So if you're a Jew under Old Testament times, if you live close to the temple in Jerusalem, you would go to the temple to worship on the Sabbath. If you live far away from the temple, then 10 Jewish families could form a synagogue, and then you would attend worship in the city wherever you live with, those, with the, your fellow Jews. Well, where was Jesus? Where would you find Jesus on the Sabbath day? He wasn't out fishing. He wasn't soaking up rays on the beach by the Sea of Galilee. He wasn't hiking the trails out in the hills. Jesus was in church. He was in the synagogue. This was his custom, and this was his practice. Okay, so that's the Old Covenant. Now, we are not Old Testament Jews. We're not bound by the Old Covenant. I mean, for them, it was a law. We're not, it's like buckling your seatbelt. Not just a good idea. It was the law. But we're Christians under the New Covenant, the New Testament. So as we move into the New Testament, we saw that on the first day of the week, Luke records, on the first day of the week, we gathered together to break bread, and Paul preached to them. Now, what would cause these Jews who have been worshiping on Saturday, the seventh day of the week, for 1,500 years to all of a sudden transition to worshiping God on the first day of the week, Sunday, either in place of Sabbath worship or in addition to their Saturday worship? Well, we know the answer to that. It's because Jesus died and he was raised from the grave on the first day of the week, Sunday. So the, whereas the emphasis for the Jews in Sabbath worship was rest, where Sabbath means rest, the emphasis for Christians was on the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that that brings. So they began worshiping on the first day of the week. That's one of the great proofs that the resurrection actually happened. It took something that momentous to bring about that kind of a change in their behavior and in their practice. So by the time John writes Revelation, the book of Revelation, he writes, I was in the Spirit on what day? On the Lord's day. Well, what was the Lord's day? That was Sunday, the first day of the week. So they called it the Lord's day. 
So, what have we said? All I did here was, why am I laying this foundation? I want to I make a point here. This idea of weekly corporate worship, not a man-made idea. It's God's idea. It's God's expectation. It is God's desire for us. It's not me calling you out to church on Sunday. If it's just me, most of you are not going to show up, and I'm not going to blame you. But if it's God who's calling us out, it's a whole different story. And once we decide that in our own hearts, that this is really what God wants, it puts the whole idea of, of corporate worship, weekly corporate worship, in a, in a different category. Puts it in the category, really, what I would call a non-negotiable. Right? It's a non-negotiable. And you know what a non-negotiable is? You, all people have certain non-negotiables. They're things that they have decided in their core that they will do or that they won't do. And they've weighed this or that and made those decisions. They don't need to revisit it every day. They've just decided this, this is non-negotiable for me. I'll give you an example for me. Uh, one of my non-negotiables is I don't drink alcohol. I'm a total abstainer because I decided, I mean, this, I decided this 45 years ago. That was God's will as I understood biblical teaching. That was God's will for my life. Now, don't get hung up on the example. I know not everybody feels the same way about that. I get that. That's, that is not even going to be my point. I got a different point here. But so for me, and no judgment for me, that's been a non-negotiable in my life. So I, I, I save a lot of energy and time when you have certain things settled in your life. So I'm over at Sam's on Saturday. I like to go to Sam's on Saturday. Anybody guess why? Yeah, because it's sample day. You can practically get a free lunch there on sample day. So I'm in Sam's on Saturday. I'm walking around. I go through the wine section. What happens to be a lady there in the wine section who's, you know, doing wine samples? And I walk past. And she said, sir, would you like to sample our, you know, I think it was Boone's Farm wine or something like that? And, and how long do you think it took me to make a decision there? So I, I didn't have to weigh, I didn't have to look at it and say, well, it looks awful fruity and sparkly today. I didn't have to sniff the bouquet. I mean, it took me a fraction of a second to say, no, thank you, I, I don't drink. Okay, it's easy. It makes life easy when you have certain things settled. I, I didn't weigh the pros and cons of social drinking versus non-social drinking. I've been through all that. Likewise, so what's my point? Point's not about social drinking. My point here is about non-negotiables. If you get to the point in your life as an individual Christian, as we as a church, where we understand, you know, weekly corporate worship, that's not some man-made thing. This is God's desire for his people. Then you can put that into the category of a non-negotiable and save a lot of time and a lot of energy. So when you wake up on Sunday morning, you're not laying there in bed thinking, oh, am I going to go to church today or not? Well, is it Easter? Or is it Christmas? Right. What's the weather like today? Is it sun? Well, how's the surf out there today? How's the fish? Are the fish biting today? How do I feel? Did I stay up too late last night. What are the kids? What are their moods like? You don't have to do any of that. You settled it. It's a non-negotiable. It's Sunday morning. I go to church. I get up and go to church. No matter how I feel, feel like it, don't feel like it, I go to church. If I'm the head of my family, I bring the family along. If I'm not the head of my family and they don't want to go, I leave them behind. But I'm going to go to church. Why? Because this is God is called. This is God's call. You know what the word, the original word for church is in the original language? Ecclesia. Now you know some Greek. Ecclesia. You know what that word literally means? That, that we translate at church? Called out. 
The church are the called out ones. In a general sense, as a church, God has called us out from the world. He's called us out from sin. He's called us out from a self-centered approach to life to a God-centered approach to life. To live holy. Holy means different. We're different. We're holy like God is holy. God has called us out in a general sense and in a specific sense. On Sunday, God has called us out to come together and worship him corporately. Now, you can worship God on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. You can worship God all by yourself, and you should. If we're not, that's a problem too. But on Sunday, that's the day of corporate worship where God calls us to worship together as a group. So that's loving God. Because how do we love God? By keeping his commandments and obeying his will. All right, here's another reason why the weekly corporate worship is loving God is because the church is the body of Christ. In Ephesians 5.29, Paul writes, No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. As you know, one of the analogies for the church is the body of Christ. Christ loves his body, the church. He cares for it. He feeds it. You know, Christ cares for us spiritually. He feeds us spiritually. Right, right. We're feeding on the, the bread of life, who is Christ, the bread that comes down from heaven. We're drinking the water of life, the Holy Spirit that indwells us and refreshes us and quenches that spiritual thirst that we have. He feeds us. He cares for us. He's feeding us and caring for us right now in a spiritual sense, even in a material sense, if you think about it. He's feeding and caring for us. God is. The Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. We would all cease to exist right now if God was not sustaining us in a very real way. So God, he cares about us. And as a church, we're the body of Christ. You care about your body. You care about your body. I'm looking out here right now. All I see are people who care about their body, who love their body. You love your body. I know you do. <laughs> well, how do you know that? Well, for one thing, you smell good. So you must be bathing your body and you're brushing your teeth and combing your hair. You, if you have hair, you're combing your hair. I see, I don't see any naked bodies out here. No, pretty much everybody's got clothes on, so you're clothing your body. Some, most of you have flesh on your bones, so you're feeding your body. Some, some are loving their body a little too much, maybe, but, you know. But that's appropriate. You're supposed to do that. God created these bodies. He gave us these bodies. We're stewards over our bodies. We feed and care for our bodies. Well, likewise, Jesus cares about his church. And now, so when we, to, to love your body, you've got to show up. To love the body of Christ, we have to show up. When you go to church, I hope you get something out of it. But that's not even what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is when you go to church, what you're doing for the rest of the body, the other members of the congregation. What you're, you're loving Christ's church by doing things for them. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when you meet together, all right, this, we're talking about our, uh, the assemblies that they were having, corporate worship. One will sing, another will teach, another will do this, another will do that. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. See, these corporate worship gatherings are for, to strengthen everybody else as well as ourselves in the body of Christ. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I took that word spur and made an acronym. 
What happens when you go to church? S, you stand. You're, you're taking a stand. You're taking a stand for God. People see that. People see you driving out of your neighborhood. They know who you. They know where you're going. They know who you are. Oh, it's one of those people. They're church people right there. Tammy, my wife, was out walking in the neighborhood the other day with one of our grandkids, ran into a couple of ladies we'd never met before I hadn't, she hadn't, and they got to talking, and they asked, where do you live? And she described our house, the house on the corner there with the red fire hydrant, the red door. Oh, they said, that's the preacher's house. The preacher's house? I never met them before. But they know who we are, and they're watching. And they know who you are, too. Your neighbors know who you are. They know whether or not you're church people, and that's great. You're taking a stand for the, this is one of the ways you show that you belong to Christ and you love God. You get up and you go to church. Uh, P, prioritize. I'm doing an acronym with SPUR. So P, prioritize. You go to church. It shows you are prioritizing the things of the kingdom of God in your life. That's a priority to you, as it should be. I know people who work the third shift on Saturday night, right? Working into the wee hours of the morning, and then when the average person would go home after getting off work and, and catch some sleep, they'd push through and come to church. That, that's where they believe God wants them to be. I, I know people who are, they, they're, they have mobility challenges. So for them to get up and get ready and come to church takes a lot of energy, effort, even sacrifice to, to be here. That's why I try to never belittle the act or diminish the act of going to church. Sometimes, this is a pet peeve of mine. I hear preachers do this sometimes. To make a point, and I understand the point, like there's an old joke, if you go in, walking in and out of your garage does not make you a car, and they say, well, going to church does not make you a Christian. Well, duh. <laughs> we all know that. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. And the point that they're making is being a Christian is more than simply attending church on Sunday. Okay, I get that. But having said that, it's not less than going to church on Sunday. So I don't... I don't tell jokes like that, and I do not like to in any way diminish the importance and the significance of attending weekly corporate worship. Why would I diminish someone who's worked all night and is pushed through to come here and worship with us, or somebody who's like has those mobility issues and is just a great effort to come and be here? It's prioritizing. It's unifying in the, the you and spur. We are unified together. We come together. I know you have my back. I have your back. That's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to you. And R, it reinforces. It reinforces our values and what we believe about God and the Word of God. Have you noticed that the culture is not necessarily friendly toward God and, and spiritual things? Our culture used to be. Now, Hollywood hates the church, hates God. Used to be back in the day. Remember, you'd watch Andy Griffith or Little House on the Prairie. And they, the church the church was in the background in those shows. They, they went to church, and they're... There'd be some Christians on there, and they were portrayed in a positive light. These days, if there's a Christian character in a movie or a TV series, he's an axe murderer or he's a hypocrite of some kind, he's the villain or he's a buffoon, there's something seriously wrong with this guy. That's the way Hollywood portrays the talk show hosts late at night. The Christians are the butt of their jokes. Social liberals portray Christians as haters because they want to take a stand for a biblical morality. You know what's nice in a culture like that, in a world like that? It's nice to go to church where you're, 
where you're assembling with people of like precious faith who, who know, haters. We're not uh, ignorant because we believe God created the world. Uh, we love God. We love his word. We believe it's the truth. We love the Lord, and we love, every, we love all people. And, th- and there's a reinforcement of that and those values when we come together. Honestly, I don't see how some people keep their faith intact without weekly corporate worship. Come together. This is what you do, how you love the rest of the body of Christ, spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. Well, one more thing, and this is, so that's a couple of ways in which going to church is loving God. Now, I have one other category. I call this excused absences because not every, we're, none of us are in church every Sunday, including me. What qualifies as an excused absence? Now, I don't mean to be presumptuous about that. Nobody has to bring me a note from the doctor. But I just thought it was a cute little heading to put this part of the discussion under. You know, uh, Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians 2.18, For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. All right, there's an excused absence. The devil kept you from going to church, I guess. But what... Seriously, might be some excused absences. Number one is sickness. This is an obvious one. If you're sick, come on, stay home. We don't want you coughing and sneezing all over the rest of us. You can live stream our services now. Sometimes you may have to work, right? Is it a sin to work on Sunday? I mean, it was a sin to work on the Sabbath. That's how they were. They were reverencing God by not working, and he told them to do that. Is it a sin to work on Sunday? Sunday's not the Christian Sabbath. It's not kept in the same way. There are a lot of slaves in that early church. And they couldn't tell their slave masters, I'm taking the day off to go to church. So those early Christian slaves, they met very, very early in the morning or late at night, either before or after they got their work done. Now, it is nice if you happen to have a job where you're off on Sunday or maybe your, your, uh, your, your work is closed on Sunday. That's convenient. It's nice. With one exception. My one exception to that, Tim Hawkins will tell us about the exception. Let's roll that. Chick-fil-A I could eat there seven times a day Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A Suddenly I need waffle fries in front of me With some nuggets and a large sweet tea Oh, Chick-fil-A You set me free, kids get in the van so we can go there today. But their stores are closed, oh I know, cause it's Sunday. Chick-fil-A. What a dirty rotten trick to play. Now I have to settle for Subway Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A Chick-fil-A Yeah, Chick-fil-A I hope they have Chick-fil-A in heaven So so it's great, with that that exception, it's great if you work for a business that's closed on Sunday But maybe you don't You know, I, I noticed that during the holiday season, we got some postal workers and they handled this in a couple of different ways. Uh, Eric back there is our worship leader, told him, I, I can't work on Sunday. They wanted him to, and he could have made some extra money if he did. He said, no, 
I'm not going to work on Sunday. I'm going to be here in church. Uh, and then we had another one, Mike, who he did work, but he would come in here. He would find a way to carve out a time on Sunday, and he would come in here and have the Lord's Supper and communion with, communion with us on Sunday. Now, there are things you can do. Uh, vacations, uh, we all travel and are out on vacation. But when you're on vacation, you're out of town, obviously you're not going to be here, but you can visit a church where you are, and that's enlightening, and it's fun to do a lot of times. But let's say you may be somewhere, maybe camping out where you don't have access to a church, you're camping with your family, have a little service. How about that? Maybe just a family service. Maybe read a scripture and have a prayer. And these cool things right here, we got a box of these back there in our communion supplier, and we can provide these for you. If you're going to be traveling, you know you're not going to be able to go to church on a Sunday. This is a communion little kit. It's got the grape juice down here, and it's sealed. And on, underneath the seal, it's got the communion wafer. And these are totally portable. If I could juggle, I would juggle these. But you could stick them in your pocket, and you could take a bunch of these with you. And on Sunday, get your family together, have a service. Maybe if you're out at a sporting event, uh, 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 a recreational league, you might gather some other families together on Sunday, if it's a Sunday, and say, look, let's have a little service together. We've got, we can do communion for everybody. Just a thought. As we close here, I wanted to give you this example from Voice of the Martyrs, the organization Voice of the Martyrs. I read recently about uh, this couple and well, what it took for them to go to church. And I'm going to end with this. Every time uh, Mauricio and Dina travel to a nearby village for church, they know it could be their last time. Yet they're convinced that the Lord has called them to worship in the Colombian red zone where they live. In order to go to the church, which is outside their village, Mauricio and Dina must get permission to leave from the paramilitary and then get permission to enter the other village. If caught trying to leave without permission, they could be sent home or even killed. To avoid drawing too much attention to themselves, they travel in the back of a large truck that looks like a military transport vehicle. They cram into the back with more than a dozen other people as well as sacks of grain and chickens. Transportation isn't the only danger they face. While worshiping in a church service, Mauricio and Dina were caught in a shootout. Mauricio says, we had to lie flat on the floor because bullets were passing over our heads. Despite the danger, though, they have an eternal perspective. Mauricio says, yes, we were afraid, but we do it. We get in there where we're called to be, where we're supposed to be. We preach, we teach, and we worship Jesus. You know, I think, well, if they can do that, we can do this. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful today. I mean, where else would we want to be than right here with your people worshiping, prioritizing, and loving you? We thank you for calling us here today. And we know what it took to do that, to call us out and to make us holy. And we're here primarily because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.